Never in my life had a three day one. Not tonight, you're not on the list. Hello, I'm Conor McLoon and welcome to the You're Not On The List podcast produced weekly for Rewind That Track. On this podcast, we interview, dive deep and take a journey into the lives of those in the music industry. From artists to festival organisers, we take a look at what people have witnessed backstage, on stage and everything in between. My guest this week is a London-based drum and bass producer who has recently returned from a tour around New Zealand with drum and bass all-stars. It's Andrew Goddard. During this episode, we discuss what it was like to play a national tour after being quarantined for so long, the role of MCs in live music, how crucial music lawyers are to the industry, what it's like having two singles reach 1 million streams in 2021, and why it's important to never give up on your dreams. My guest this week is a London-based D&B artist who last month returned from touring New Zealand with drum and bass all-stars. He's very recently celebrated reaching two tracks with over 1 million streams on Spotify and has released two D&B EPs in the last 12 months. His mantra is never give up and we'll discuss later on how relevant that is to his career. It's Andrew Goddard, aka Goddard. Good morning, mate. How are you? Good morning, mate. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. This is a, this is the earliest podcast I think record we've done in the series <laughs> so far. And do you know what? It's nice. I've got a lot of energy in the morning. I've got a lot of energy in the morning. I feel you, man. I'm definitely more like proactive in the morning than I am in the evening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You must be feeling good as well with the uh, the recent news. I say the recent news. Like I've done this throughout the whole of. If you look back at the series of the podcast so far, we've had. When the first sort of announcement was announced and we were like, that was that was the Freedom Day. And then very recently, I think it was yesterday, wasn't it? We sort of were yeah. told that it was it's going to be July the 19th uh, for people like yourself, who is a, a DJ and artist. That must be music to your ears. Yeah, definitely, man. It's been like throughout the whole year, it's been... Yeah, you, I'd get like an email from the events manager at All Stars, and bless him, he, you know, he's 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 probably had a nightmare of a year because he'd be saying like, right, these are the dates, get yourselves ready, and then it's like, no, push back, and it's happened about three or four times. So it got to the point where it's like, oh, more dates have come in, but is it going to happen? We, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But fortunately, I do think now. I think I think it's it's going to happen now. Fingers I think crossed. We're at mate. the end of it. Fingers crossed. I mean, like, yeah, it's uh, we've got to be optimistic. There's a lot of people that are sort of getting the green light going ahead. Some uh, events and some uh, clubs, and it's sort of like the, the 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 light at the end of the tunnel that they've been waiting for. So now we've only technically got what is it the sixty the sixth today. So we've got thirteen days, just just under two weeks now before we uh, before we head back there. What's sort of going to be your first event that you're going to be uh, you're going to be playing at? So the first one is going to be at E1 London, and that's going to be on the thirty first if all goes well. And so where, whereabouts well. is it in London? E1, I've still never been down there at the moment. It's like, kind of like East London-ish, I think. Yeah, I've never. Do you know what? I've I've never been there. I've never experienced okay. E1, but I've heard that it's it's a vibe. So I'm excited to go there. I've heard um, it's a good vibe. And then there's a couple of live streams on YouTube at the moment that they've recorded there, and I know that they did some of them in lockdown as well. And it does look like a really, really. It's quite a new venue, but I think relatively new. Yeah, I think it's only like three, three sort of years old. So it's supposed to be sort of yeah, quite a nice undergroundy type one. And what's the uh, what's the event you're going to be playing at there? Is that with a DMB All Stars? Yeah, it's an All Stars event. So they've so we've got essentially kind of like a UK tour um, from July onwards to um, like November time so it's like 15 shows between now and then all around the UK um, and and in uh, 
well, he said, he said, and Wales, but Wales is part of the UK. Wales is part of the UK. We're getting a geography lesson this morning as well. They're nice and early, nice and wow. early in there. So for, the, for people that might that are listening that might think, okay, I've never heard of DMB All Stars before, mm-hmm. um, and it might be because if you're not into DMB, yeah. if you are into DMB, you most likely have heard of them. But um, how would you sort of describe DMB All Stars? Um, I would describe them as the new kids on the block, but they've like certainly come and sort of made a name for themselves very, very quickly. I first came across them. Just my mate showed me some clips on Instagram of one of their nights and it became like a, th- a thing that is just every week there was these new clips coming up and you could hear these new dub plates and forthcoming tunes. And it was, it kind of felt quite fresh as well. Like no one else was really kind of utilizing Instagram like that. Um, I mean, now everyone's kind of doing it, but at the time it felt like they were very much kind of the first to really sort of hone in on that and and use that to promote not just the label, but the events as well. Because All Stars is kind of like, it feels like they've got a lot going on. Like they've got the event side, they've also got the label side and there's other things in the pipeline as well. They've just launched their drum and bass radio, which is on Spotify and they've got guests on there every week they're doing well i think they were doing it every fortnight and they're not doing it every week so yeah they're always looking to they're always innovating and they're always trying to sort of find new ways to to obtain like new listeners and which i which i think is great i think it's like an exciting thing to be a part of yeah that absolutely is so like you said uh, you've got uh they've got a radio station they've got a label they're obviously running events mm. um they've put releases out there so that sort of as a building as a brand are covering a lot of avenues there yeah um, so are you a resident for them then or is it just a no no, no, I think a lot of people who are asking me this, they, you know, are you exclusive to them? And uh, I, I'm not, no, uh, I'm, I am, um, I like All Stars because they very much kind of give me the fr- the creative freedom to, to release what I want to release, which I think is quite, uh, you know, I couldn't really ask for more to be, as an artist to, to be able to release what you want to release instead of what the, the label want to release, um, which is great. So I, I'm not exclusive, no, um, but I very much sort of, they're, they're like, it's like a family, all stars for sure. It's very much sort of a family environment, but no, not exclusive. Okay, that's that's really refreshing and lovely to hear that obviously they're not dictating or they're not trying to pigeonhole you or say like, oh, can you, oh, we, no, we, we no, like no, your music, no, but we no, want no. it to sound like this or that. If they're giving you the creative freedom to uh, release what you want, that's a that's a very appealing thing for I'm sure a lot of artists that would like to be signed to the label or also would like to be able to uh, produce for that. So that's really nice to hear, mate. That's sort of what's going to be going on in three weeks with you. So that's the first show back and then, and then them touring around the UK. If we were to flip it and go all the way back to the beginning of your music career and sort of your earliest experiences with music what is your sort of earliest memory or your earliest experience with music um i would probably well well, my earliest my earliest experience would probably be when i went to a random concepts event and it was five in the morning most of the people had left at this point because obviously it had been a long long day um i think it was the summer gathering event actually and i was really keen to watch uh a DJ producer called Sub Zero play because at the time I just idolized him. I thought he was just like top dog, and I was like, "Yeah, I've got to see him play." He wasn't on till five, but I stayed and watched him. And I just remember I was, I was only like, I think I was seventeen at the time, and I just remember like watching him and thinking, "I want to do that," because like, oh, I just felt amazing. I was like, "This is so cool!" Like, I loved it, and I just wanted to to do what he was doing. And then after that, I went and. Um, saved up for a few weeks bought my first pair of um decks it was, it was just like a, a little reloop midi controller and then 
because I would always have my mates around my house and I would you know, just mix for them whilst whilst um, we would just be jamming. And it kind of blossomed from that really because started to get all right behind the decks. And then I thought, if I'm going to actually like take this seriously, I think I'm going to have to start making my own music. And the first program I ever downloaded was Reason. And Reason, I don't know if you know much about Reason, but it's kind of, it's based on like analog hardware. So if you've worked in a studio using analog hardware, then yeah, that would be very much the the software for you. But I had never even stepped inside of a studio. So I was very much... Um, in the deep end with that one uh, but I eventually kind of moved to logic and that was a lot easier to understand um and now um, i use ableton okay fantastic and so like so random concept they were i think i was a couple of i've been to one random concept before and they used to host a, host a stage religiously at global gathering festival as well yeah and there's lots of sets online that are really popular with uh like yeah random concepts uh they've got lots of jump up drummer bass artists on there haven't they lots of yeah. sort of like uh, they've got headliners like obviously andy c friction all the big dons fabio and grew rider have done That's like it. headline slots there but sub-zero as a big jump up uh he was uh, obviously most of his releases come out on players recordings don't they on a, yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't know if he was, I, I don't actually know if he was exclusive at the time to them or if he still is or it would go off at the time. But that that's kind of like where my roots come from is, is Jump Up, which people find quite strange because obviously I don't really make make Jump Up, but that is where it came from. I mean, the, the energy levels in, the, in those events are just um, insane. And when you're like that age as well, it's very much like, I didn't even know this existed. Yeah. I'm coming well, back next week. Yeah, no, it is very high energy, high octane. Uh, crowd is normally good. MCs are normally fantastic yeah. on jump up sets because they'll just bait the crowd and we'll just get the energy levels up. Yeah, I um, think they're, they're really important because they kind of orchestrate the, the crowds, like yeah. unbeknown to you, but they, they play a really important role. And, you know, even if like, if the DJs maybe makes a bit of a mistake, then they can kind of come in and just sort of take the attention away from from that. Like, say if they're clanging a mix a little bit, yeah. then they can just pick up that mic, start screaming down the mic and just hyping everyone up. They don't even realize that the DJ just messed up mate. a little bit. Uh, there's, there's sometimes a bit of a stigma around MCs, isn't there? Like, if you're not into drum and bass, or yeah. well, especially there's a couple of friends where you've played them a set or you've played them... Yeah, just you played them a set on Spotify or sorry, on SoundCloud or on YouTube. And they're like, what the fuck is that guy? Or I'd say yeah. girl, but I've, I've still never heard a, a female sort of uh, MC on like a, a recorded set that I've sort of listened to, like main stage, mm. which is a totally different, uh, another uh, conversation. But like, they'll sometimes be like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, what's going <laughs> on? And they're like, you can't even understand what you're saying or stuff like that. And it's like, yeah. well, you don't even necessarily need to pick out. Number one, a lot of the MCs will over their career have the same sort of bars and will have, will have like an established sort of so you can sort of work it out over time but um but yeah it's just sort of keeping the energy going like you said sometimes as well like you've been at events where if there's a fight kicking off uh, some which does sometimes happen at an event or god forbid uh somebody's collapsed or something like that yeah. at a set, the mc will normally sort of take control and will be calling security or will be telling the dj to like stop it and like will organize like stop the fight or will like get medical yeah, attention no, to something i i actually kind of appreciate that because especially when i when i started getting a little bit older the moshing started to come into it and it used to drive me mad I'd be like why are you guys moshing like what is that about i just didn't understand it because mm when I'd first come into the scene and like going to these events, that was not a thing. You know, there was no moshing. And then these moshing started to happen and the MCs would just pick up the mic and be like, stop, like, stop the music, yeah, stop the music. Stop, like, properly call it out, wouldn't they? Brethren, stop bashing into that girl and that. And then, you know, you kind of put them in their place and just, because everyone's there to have a good time. And you can see if there's a little, 
you know, a little small girl there and she's getting smashed around by these blokes. It's not really enjoyable for her, is it? Yeah, and you don't really all it's all it's going to do is create fights. We're, at exactly. one point, the, the longer it goes on, it's okay, fair energy. enough. You might have a fight after one minute, but then it's going to be two guys that have realised that oh, he's pushed into me and he's giving me an elbow, so I'm going to smack him back. And then before yeah. you know it, it's like this bad energy. They used to have it was like a, a what was it R O A R, which I can't. I've got it's going to annoy me now that I can't remember what it's called. But like it was basically like in the early 2000s or the late 90s that they would put it on all of the tickets, and it was just like we want just nice, positive, good vibes, yeah. and like good energy. Like um, no, like fights, no, like anything like that. So it's good. Yeah, MCs are definitely uh, MCs are definitely uh, useful in the event, and I do I, think that they're paramount into paramount to drum and bass. Have you had any MCs over when you've been playing live yet? So this is so that's it's it's interesting because when I went to New Zealand, they that's not really a thing over there as such. Like right. they some they had an MC, but it would be like um like someone like elipsa or like tali who 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 are more vocalists so it's kind of like a different kind of mc like here if you go into like a drum up rave and you got people like skibbity x man and they're just you know spitting bars like no one's business like Mm. but over there it's a bit different i mean a lot of the sets that i played over there i didn't have any mc so it it was very um it felt quite strange at the beginning, to be honest, because I wasn't used to that. But yeah, I think, it, again, that's why it made me appreciate MCs a lot, really. I yeah. think I do feel like they're a vital part of the scene yeah. um, and just that environment as a whole. And, and like just like you touched on there, I've never really thought about it before, but I suppose there are, well, to my mind, if I was just to say it then, there's, I'd say there's sort of technically like three types of MCs. So you've got mm. like the, like you said there, X-Man, Skibber, and people that would be spitting bars over yeah. over the track will sort of be coarse in the crowd and coarse in the, the, the sort of vibe of the night as well, but yeah. they are spitting bars. Then like you said there, you've sort of got vocalists. So someone, some people that are going to be singing sort of over sets or singing yeah. over tracks. And then you sort of have hosts that will just sort of be like, hype yeah. for the crowds so like the uh, mcgq and stuff like that i could sort of think of that have a couple of bars but they're more sort of about hosting the night hosting the crowd and not they'll let sort of like the tracks breathe and we'll sort of like let the like the the, like the actual track play out. yeah a hundred percent and i think that's kind of like what you like where you're saying before where people have a bit of a stigma with mcs and it's like oh he's just you know he's spitting over a track and i can't even understand a word he's saying and all that but you know not all mcs are like that and some people like that kind of stuff you know the I met an MC down in London uh, called Haribo and uh, Fat Man D was down there. They're two completely different MCs. Like Haribo felt more like a poet. Um, you know, he, he was spitting bars and it, it was a story. And Fat Man D is more of a hype man. Like he's getting people up and he's getting people dancing. So, yeah, there's different types of MCs, 100%. Yeah, and I think that everyone sort of has their own role to play and everyone is welcome at sort of a there'll be certain events that like you said people want to see a certain type of one but each mm. one has their own place in the drum and bass industry yeah don't they? i think it kind of from what i gather it seems like the sort of the hype mcs is more sort of jump up orientated and then your, your mcgqs your dynamite mcs you see them more like a hospital event like dynamite mc he kind of comes in and 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 um Sometimes even maybe do like a little bit of singing in there here and yeah. there just to sort of mix it up a little bit. But I, it definitely gives room to breathe with the music more, I would say. Yeah. For lots of artists and fans, live music and shoulder to shoulder events have been out of reach. But New Zealand have managed to return to festivals, raves and shows. I spoke to Andrew about what he learned on the other side of the earth. 
you touched on it earlier about uh, you flying out to uh, find out and when you're out in New Zealand I was just going to ask you what did you sort of learn while you're out there I know you said about the uh, the MC thing so if we take that as red and take that as a given what did you learn from like when you before you went out there to like when you came back and you were like oh, okay cool like, I've realized this about sort of playing out there because that was your first sort of international tour would you say it was yeah yeah and like it was it was such a surreal experience because you know, I was I was so excited, and then when, I remember when we got from the airport, and they escort you onto this coach, and then you get on the coach, they drive you to the hotel, and then as you enter the hotel, it 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 very much becomes quite serious because it's like it's it's a big perimeter, everything's fenced off, there's there's soldiers everywhere, so it's kind of, it felt like you're in a bit of like a zombie apocalypse in New Zealand. Want. Yeah, maybe. Is this because, because of Corona or is this because of... Yeah, because you because you got a quarantine. I had to quarantine right, for two sorry, weeks. Right, sorry, of course. Yeah, of course. That was maybe yeah. a stupid day. Yeah, you... <laughs> oh, shit. You had to quarantine for two weeks. Yeah, fucking hell. So I was thinking, bloody hell, this is a mad, uh, this is a mad sort of VIP uh, thing you're detailing here, but you <laughs> made this for the quarantine. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't get like a military escort. Right, that's what I thought you meant, like a military yeah. escort to the thing. I was going to say, I know drum and bass is popular out there, but fucking hell, that's mad. So you had to, uh, you quarantined for two weeks. Yeah, mate. Yeah, I did. And I... I um yeah I I, just, I knew like if I didn't channel that energy then I I was just gonna it was gonna be a long two weeks so yeah every day I got up did work out my room it's like whacked the AC on max did a workout got in the shower made a tune tune a day I mean I made a tune every day there really um, yeah every How day I mean, granted not all of them will. See no one will ever hear, but my EP, which is coming out in December, three of the tracks on there I made in that hotel. It That's was, um, it was, it was, uh, it was quite enlightening, mate. Because I think before I was trying so hard to get, I was like, I got to get new music for New Zealand, got to do it, got to do it. And I put all this pressure on myself where I wasn't making anything that I was happy with. And then when I got to New Zealand, it kind of, I was just, you know, on my own, did my exercise, clear the heads, and it was just flowing. It just, it just happened. So it was, it made it even more exciting to get out there and actually see, like, let's just see what the reaction is to these tunes. And and they, and it's been really, really positive. So I'm excited for them to come out. That is properly hot off the press, isn't it? Like, you've been in there for your hotel quarantine, and you're literally playing out there, and you're like, well, I've got these tunes now to play, like, fresh, fresh, like, yeah, no man, one else it, would have heard them out live. Because um, how many of you were sort of out there quarantining then from the UK that flew out? So, so me and Theo uh, at Alchemist, he he got there like a couple of days before me, um, and Jake's Eni, um, and Harry from Poland Bryson, they they had already been out there. That the tour had already actually started because we had to join it a little bit later because there's only so many beds in these hotels, oh, so it's right. kind of it's like a waiting list. So yeah, yeah, we had to we we missed the first. I think three shows. Um, but fortunately for us, Sub 180, the promoters out there, they actually added more shows for me and Theo. So we, we managed to get the same amount of shows as the tour, but it just wasn't with the All-Stars tour. It was just me and him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the day the day I came out of my quarantine was the day of the first show and it was the biggest show. It was at Auckland in front of 1,100 people. And it was very, very nerve wracking because it was, it'd been so long since I'd DJed in front of anyone, let alone 1100 people. Yeah. So I got on the stage and I was like, my hands were just shaking because I was like, this is just so much. I was literally just in a hotel room, you know, a few hours ago, quarantining. Now I've got all these people in front of me. Um, I couldn't look at, I couldn't look at them at first because I was so nervous. But then I think like the third mix I did, I could hear the reaction. And then I looked up. 
And then I was like, stop being work like stop being nervous like look they're having a good time enjoy yeah. yourself and it was good and then after that it was kind of um it was like you know yeah let's crack on let's get on with it because that seemed to sort of be the uh the only way that a lot of djs were being able to play out was in australia and in new zealand wasn't it where, where, their, yeah. where their thing had going there so that's incredible to speak to you that like you said you had uh, a year and a bit off of live music of being able to play out live and then suddenly you're thrown in at the deep end after st- being forced to stay in a hotel for 10 days. You've got 1,100 people there. That have, I mean, it's incredible as well, because like you said, the reaction was great. Um, you were nervous, which absolutely rightfully so, if you haven't played out in that long. You're in a new country. You've just been in a hotel for 10 days with like an army sort of like um, <laughs> around the outside. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's 100% got to be like a lot of emotions suddenly coming to a head at once. Um, how did it go? Uh, anything that went wrong? Uh, like the first no, couple of shows no, when you were out there? It went, it, it went great, actually. I was really, really happy with it. Uh, you know, like I said, I went on there tre- almost trembling. And then I came off like bouncing around. I was so happy. I had to, I was so full of adrenaline afterwards. I had to go outside the club and ring my girlfriend and just, I was pacing up and down the street. So I was just so fueled with adrenaline. And she was like, how did it go? I was like, oh, was, honestly, that was the best experience of my life. On, that was incredible. Um, and I, yeah, I loved it. I mean, like now, after doing that, I'm so excited for the clubs to open because I feel like ready. I'm not, I'm not as nervous as I was before. I'm, I'm ready to sort of like take it on head on. Yeah. 100% mate. And how this, I've asked, uh, there's actually been two people that I've managed to ask this on the podcast too so far, but how do you sort of feel that a, uh, a New Zealand crowd compares to a, a UK crowd? Like, is there any differences? Yes, I would say yeah? so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's there. I think they're just, it's completely different. I think, yeah, New Zealand's New Zealand and the UK is UK. I think the UK, the British crowds, they seem to, I mean, I don't want to upset any Kiwis, so, but they seem to, they seem to go in a bit harder. I think, um, there's just a lot more jumping around, just a lot more sort of middle fingers in the air, a lot of more fuck offs being screamed. Yeah. It's a lot more of that. Um, but I think again, like it's kind of, for me, I was speaking to the alchemist about this and, you know, we were sort of racking our brains about it. And I think the MC not having an MC kind of plays a bit of a big part in that. And that's why I really do vouch them and and say like how important they are because they do get the crowd hyped up and they Mm. do help orchestrate it. So yeah, I think that's probably the only, the the biggest difference is just that there's, there's no MCs out there. So just bear that in mind. Um, I like to play quite a lot of vocal tunes in, in my sets and halfway through the tour, I changed it a little bit because I thought there's no MC, so it needs to be a bit more, a bit more hyped up. So yeah. I started playing a bit more sort of um, jump up roller sort of tunes rather yeah. than vocals all the time. Because when you're playing a vocal against another vocal track, you you know you've got to let each one breathe, otherwise the vocal's going to clash, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a learning curve, I guess. That's interesting to oh uh, yeah I, I I wasn't aware I didn't realise that there wasn't as many MCs out there or when or when there are drummer based like I know like Australia and specifically New Zealand um, two different communities obviously but quite close to each other and uh, very into drummer base but I wasn't aware that there wasn't such a big uh, MC culture out there so that's interesting to sort of uh, yeah to hear. I mean I, I wasn't either it was it was um it, it feel it do you know what it feels more intense because usually if there's an MC in front of you. A lot of the people are keeping an eye on the MC yeah. and you're kind of just in the background Yeah. where over there, 
all eyes are on you. That's why yeah. like, I could not, I could not yeah, for put the first my head three up. I was just yeah. like, I can't look at them, I can't look at them. But then you hear, you can hear them and then it, the nerves start to settle. I'm glad that it went smoothly for you. And it's fantastic to hear that obviously they laid on a couple of extra shows for you guys that were quarantined that missed the first couple. That's a, Yeah, man, that's... big up Sub 180. That was really, really cool of them to do that. Music streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Music are now the most popular ways to consume music. So, when artists start hitting millions of streams on their work, it's a massive milestone. I spoke to Andrew about two of his tunes hitting big milestones this year. This year, your Spotify has absolutely gone through another level. Two tracks, Nicotine and Prosper, that have hit (laughs) one million streams. It's so strange, because like Prosper, I probably made that in about three days but nicotine uh, nicotine did take longer nicotine took about two weeks um it's always trickier with live vocals i think especially with the mix downs it's there's quite a lot of channels in in nicotine and you have you have to sort of take a step back and let your ears sort of reconcile like just give them a break because if you if you're trying to mix a track the day after you've made it Sometimes it works, but I think it's good to maybe take a couple of days off and then come back because then you, you, your ears just pick up on those artifacts that are in there that you don't want in there. I mean, that's an incredible feat, and it, uh, there are lot. It's not like a, it's a rare thing to get a, a, a single and a track over a million streams. It's not like a, a small feat at all, mate. There's a there's a lot of artists that um, that would would dream to achieve that, yeah. and then you've got two within 2021, which is fantastic. What of um, what do you think, sort of like played towards that i know that some of them appeared obviously on a on spotify playlist as well which is also another fantastic feat um and being able to get onto some of those tastemaker sort of playlists on spotify um i did am i right in saying that nicotine was also played by um dom when he was one of his sets you know the guy that drives around on his bike and uh, i saw i saw that go viral sort of online like the clip of nicotine being played i saw obviously you shared it on yours and a couple of other channels online do you sort of that feel like that had a had an influence on it as well oh massively yeah it was um i remember the day because i it was restrictions were starting to get get eased off and me and my friends here we we decided we were all going to meet up for the first time in ages we went to the pub and then I got a phone. Well, my missus got a phone call from my manager and he was trying to get hold of me. Um, and with Spotify, there's like a Spotify IS app. So you mm. can check like the analytics and stuff. And he was just like, go and go on the app now and have a look. And it was, it was so surreal because it was just like a massive spike and it was all these meme pages that would just kept resharing it and resharing it and resharing it. And then it just goes to show like how influential these meme pages can really be. I think, yeah, a lot of people underestimate sort of how, uh, yeah, if, if one video does go viral and then someone else picks it up and then someone else picks it up and you're getting tagged in it and obviously they're credit in your track. And it's just that, I think it was like a one minute clip, wasn't it? It was, it wasn't, it was just like part of his bike ride going round. Um, yeah. And like you said, I think, uh, well, I don't want to name any pages because I don't want anyone else to get offended or stuff like that. But yeah, there were certainly bigger, <laughs> there's certainly big meme pages that were that were um, that were sharing that. With Spotify and streaming and stuff like that, do mm. you think that that is absolutely now the future? Like, what I mean is, is your music sort of available anywhere else? Sort of like, I know it's on. I know that you've had a couple of like Beatport, you've got into the charts and stuff there as well, where like people can buy the actual tracks and stuff like that. Mm. Do you think that like Spotify and Apple Music is more prominent and more important to an artist now than say the likes of like buying it on iTunes or buying it on Beatport or buying it on Juno or stuff like that? Yeah, it's a it's a fair question. I think 
For me personally, when I was studying this at uni, they very much kind of embedded it in our heads that the digital revolution is happening. Physical sales have, you know, not gone, but obviously took a massive hit now and, and streaming's the future. And Spotify was very much one that just kept getting mentioned a lot and lot. And I like, you know, I've always used Spotify as well and I like what they're doing. I think they're quite innovative. Um, so I did kind of sort of say, let's try and push Spotify. Because I, I, I personally think that Spotify is probably the, f- the future, if not, the the biggest platform but i don't know it's it's tricky it is exciting when you get in the charts in beatport that's like equally exciting it's like wow mm. that's 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 amazing because you know i remember when i used to make sort of house music and like the idea of getting in the charts and beatport would just be like unbelievable like no way would it oh, that'd be amazing so to actually get in there was was exciting but i don't know it's 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 a tricky one it is a tricky one, I think, because if you're trying to make a living out of music, then physical sales, well, you probably would get more, but people just aren't buying, phys- they're just not buying physical copies. And that being said as well, it's there isn't even any physical copies of, of any of my tunes at the minute anyway. You know, they're not on vinyl or anything like that. There's a couple of people that have been on the podcast and we've discussed sort of like finances and stuff before as well. Mm. Obviously, Spotify is and Apple Music is most accessible to people because they can pay yeah. monthly subscriptions, stream it, whatever. But then as a, I don't know how much you want to talk about this or not, but as an artist, do you, I mean, it's, it's quite widely recognized. That obviously, you don't get as much money from streaming, do you? No, not no, at all. no, not at all, really. It's really, really like the conversion is terrible <laughs> would it if it, we we've had a, i've had a couple of people on here as well discuss and as i said there you've had two tracks that have hit one million streams um i don't know obviously the the background or the information that you've got with uh with managers or with uh, any sort of a label or stuff like that but we were sort of told before that one million streams roughly equates to five thousand pounds for mm. uh for uh, well for like either between you and your manager or you or however the split is would you would you say that that's an accurate sort of representation um yeah i'd say that's fairly accurate but you've got to consider the the costs as well so like you've got to cons- you've got to consider like <sighs> marketing for one um your share like what what you know what is your agreement with your label so obviously it, it varies with all different labels. Um, one thing I would recommend is just um, seek advice because it's very easy to get excited and and just be like be a yes person. Like I've I've been a yes person all my life, and it hasn't always actually been beneficial to is to to myself. And I've right. actually learned the hard way from it. And one thing I will say is anybody who's at a point in their career where they, where they think, okay, I really want to, you know, start taking this seriously and try and make a career out of it, then yeah, seek advice because you can get free legal advice. Um, and you know, you don't have to pay anything. And that free, that half an hour, just speaking to a music lawyer could actually be really, really beneficial to you. 
and actually prevent you from getting caught up in a contract which may look good on paper but when you when they break it down to you it's not good at all i was gonna say is that what you're sort of talking about there so like some people would say like you said there you say yes to every opportunity and then we'll sign it and think like oh i've been approached by this person or i've been approached by this team and i've really respected them and i really like them so yeah yeah, absolutely would love to do it and then when you suddenly look through the legal print you think fucking hell i'm getting like two percent of that this is just an example that's not obviously what i'm saying you get yeah as an example you're thinking oh god so someone else is getting like the like the, the vast majority of it and me who's made the music and has produced it i've actually just been a bit screwed here so it's best off to always yeah i think it's it's, it's a sobering thing i mean it is it is annoying it's just but like i said i i've learned the hard way and i you know i, I wouldn't want anyone else to, to have to go down that route it's better to just get free advice if you're not sure about something there's loads of music lawyer firms out there that offer free consultations so just you know, pick up the phone or send an email and they'll come back to you and then you can just go from there. That's really interesting. I've, I haven't spoken to anyone sort of about that aspect of it. And I suppose, yeah, that would there will be lots of people listening that that will be massively beneficial to because they might not realise and like they might be so hungry and so desperate to get that first signing or that first booking um, that that would be fantastic advice for them to go like, you know what, just put a buffer on if you get sent a contract or if you get sent something let, let someone else like just ask some advice and stuff like that and yeah. it might save them hundreds if not thousands of pounds down the road so i mean what you be- got is all i would just like say is like just ask yourself if you're reading a contract can you categorically say you know exactly what that means because when i read these contracts i know full well i don't know what it means hmm. because there's there's legal jargon in there which is designed to confuse you and it will so if you've got a music lawyer who reads these things near enough every day and they can break it down for you, happy days. Yeah. And even if, like you said, you can get half an hour of legal free advice or even if you did need to pay someone an hour or two hours of their time, it would probably save you in the long run a lot more money than, yeah, you'd probably be, uh, you'd probably generate more money than what it would cost to uh, yeah. hire them for an hour like, like lawyers is what music, it's quite a weird thing. So what, I, what I've learned, about music lawyers i'm not so i think like in in the major realm they're kind of known as like gatekeepers so they they kind of like like the middleman between the artist manager and then to your publishers or your labels they they kind of are the people who can put you in front of those people and stuff like that which is a bit strange like i the first ever music lawyer i met this is when i was living in london it was a guy called paul spraggan and he he was adele's lawyer and he came in he came in like we were sat there for ages he came in late he swans in and you know it's just like i can put you in front of this person and this person this is how this is how it works this is what we do like we're, we're essentially the gatekeepers and i thought it was so strange i was like i thought the music lawyers were just people who give you legal advice but it seems in the music industry it's it's not just about that like they're very much connected to everything that goes on because they have to be because obviously there's the other side to it, the business side. When there's business involved, there's 
the legal side. Yeah, and when there's money to be made, then yeah, there's a lot of people that obviously want to uh, want to make sure that their clients are getting the most amount of money. And then there's obviously a lot of people that want to be able to be yeah, it's take the, a cut as well. It's the um, it's the sobering side of it, I suppose. Yeah. It's, the, uh, it's, the, yeah. it's the balance to, like you said, coming off stage, being absolutely yeah. energetic and hyped and thinking, oh my God, this is the best thing in the world. It's fantastic. Like everybody's had such a sick time and it's been ages. And then, yeah, the, the, the other side of the coin, which is, oh, fuck, someone else is going to take money exactly. from me. Um, so yeah, it's good to have balance. It's always good to have balance, mate. It's always good to have balance. Talking of uh, playing live, what's the, uh, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you while playing live? um well this one's it's not even too bad but i was playing with um i went back to back with monroe a few weeks ago down at lakota and um we were both a bit nervous actually as we went on and we started playing and something there was like a box connected to the decks which is had some sort of malfunction and then i was just i put my headphones on about to do the mix and Eli goes to us, he's like, God, oh, God, oh. And he was pointing at the screen and it came up, emergency loop, emergency loop. And I was like, oh, fuck, fuck's sake, what's going on here? And then obviously you've got all these people in front of you sitting down. They're all staring at you or waiting for you to, you know, do something to impress them. And it's like, I literally don't know what to do here because it's just going to keep looping. The more it loops, the more people are going to notice. So I just went... Vroom just rewinded it and then everyone was like oh what's going on what's going on and i'm just like what what can you do i mean fortunately a sit-down event it's not too bad but if you imagine doing that in a place like print works i think you'd probably be a bit more like that is when you need an mc isn't it and then what happened like somebody came on from the uh, air from, from yeah, a sound yeah. engineer came on yeah yeah the technical wizard came on and he was like what's the problem he was like we don't know it's just he's done that and then yeah he fixed it i've been quite i don't want to jinx myself touch word touch word yeah I'd, i've been quite fortunate in that sense nothing too too bad um no, but that's yeah. all right. That's to be fair. Like you said, a sit down event was probably the perfect, uh, if you needed one to, to, if you had been quite lucky and you needed one to tip the balance, then that was probably at the perfect time for it to be happening. Like people eating, maybe drinking or whatever, they're yeah. not necessarily up raving and dancing. It would have been, like you said, it would have been perfect if you had an MC there because they could have hosted the crowd, taken the tension away from it. Like yeah. they uh, had a bit of a vibe with them, but uh, yeah. Um, one thing I was going to touch on as well is, uh, You've you've obviously been in the music industry now for a little while. Haven't always been a drummer based producer, like you said. You touched on earlier. You used to produce uh, house music, and then you sort of had some live elements of music as well. Um, yeah. Sort of on your social media things, you've got never give up, um, and I think that's obviously quite paramount because you've had sort of several different incarnations in the music industry, and have touched on several different pieces of sounds and. Uh, sort of different industries and different subgenres and stuff like that and have always been constantly giving it 100% and always coming back and giving it more and giving it more. Do you think this is now sort of the most successful carnation that you've been in the music industry or is this sort of like your happiest that you've been in the music industry? I'd say it's definitely my happiest, yeah. I think um, all the like the, the, the producing like the house the live bait stuff because it was kind of, that kind of happened because I was moving cities a lot and I was moving cities a lot because I was studying so like when, when I was studying I lived in London then I moved to Manchester and that's kind of where the house thing started to creep in because I was going to a lot of 
um house events there and and a lot of the, my mates at the at the time were into that music and and I, I i liked it you know i thought yeah it's all right actually you know people hear the sounds and then with leeds that's where the live stuff kind of came into into practice and then we got invited down to london for like an artist development thing and that was like amazing because they put us in sessions with some like incredible artists. I mean, one one of the persons that we worked with was Holly Walker from Maribo State, and that like, I, I'm a big fan of Maribo State, so to work with her was really surreal. But yeah, the the DMB thing was it was nice because it's like my roots, like that's that's what got me into music in the first place. So to come back to it and 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 it's not it's it's for really tricky music to produce. It's really technical. Because when I first started producing it, I would make a tune and then I'd put it up against somebody who's already been, you know, out there for a while. And my tunes were just not hitting anywhere near as hard. And that was very much a case of like, okay, you really need to like dive into the engineering side and, and figure out how to get your track to to match these ones but yeah it's 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 weird because like you i know you say like you've got like a million streams and that and stuff like that but because we've been in isolation and and like in lockdown it's it doesn't really feel any different i mean even like going to lock to new zealand that was amazing but then when you come back it was just like back to covid life mm. like instantly so it, it, it's still it still doesn't really feel that different. I'm just making tunes. And I know, obviously, you said you've, you're working in the studio at the moment, haven't you? And you've got a, uh, well, you've got all those tracks that uh, that you created in uh, New Zealand as well. And like you said, some of them will see the light of day, some of them won't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is it that you're sort of working on at the moment or working towards uh, currently? I'm doing a, a mixture. So, I'll, well, and the next thing I want to do is do a dub pack because um, I feel like the dub pack realm, the Spotify realm, are two can completely different areas and i really want to do a dub pack just like just purely for the clubs um but i'm also doing production for like other artists as well um and doing a bit of teaching as well like just doing some like tutorials and stuff like that but yeah anything to kind of like help with the income as well because you know like everyone we've got we've got bills to pay if you were sort of to reflect back all the way to the uh to the start of your sort of musical careers and all the way up to now what's one thing that you uh that you wish you could tell yourself way back when if you were starting out on your journey oh, i mean i don't have any regrets i think i don't know really i suppose probably like don't let criticism eat, like don't take it to heart too much because it's it's constructive criticism. Like it's never like when I was younger, it was really hard because you get so excited about a tune when you make it and you're so proud of it. But then when somebody's like, mm, it's not that good, really, that could be quite hard to take sometimes. But you've just got to build a thick skin around that and just kind of be like, okay, well, I'll make it better next time. Yeah, you know, it's not. It'll be better tomorrow. Just always try and improve yourself because especially with like music production, you're always learning. Like every time I finish a track, I learn something new. Yeah. yeah and I think true. that's kind of what's quite addictive about it as well, because it's not like Call of Duty where you complete it. You know, you're, you're forever learning, which I think, which I really love about it, you know, especially when you work with other artists and you see how they do things compared to how you do things. It's like, oh, that's a really cool way of doing it. There's a million different ways to go about it. 
Yeah, and like like you said, there uh, comparing it's obviously like a a video game. There's not necessarily like an end point where you go, oh, "I've completed it now." That's that's sick. Or like the 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 end goal is always moving, or it moves as you progress and stuff like that. What do you sort of a uh, what do you class as like a win nowadays? Then, if that's uh, if that's sort of like constantly moving, and when you hit new milestones, like what do you think? What makes you happy, sort of in the music industry? And I think, you think oh, the, I know I've got something there. For me, a win is literally just just being happy in yourself, just being happy because. The last couple of years has been a bit tricky for myself personally. Um, and that's kind of where the mantra of never give up comes from because I lost my mum two years ago and that was like a massive th- thing for us at the time. It was, it was, it was tricky. And it was, there were times where I thought, ah, I'm, I'm done with music. I'm done. But you can't give up, you know, life's going to, there's going to be like obstacles in life that happen and some things do get pretty rough and, and, and you know, near enough unbearable, but you just got to rise above it. You just got to keep going, mate. Yeah, I'm sure she. Uh, I'm sure she'd be really, really proud of everything that you've achieved so far. And like you said, you've pushed through and have been resilient and have continued to produce, continued to make music, continued to to come back every time that, like you said, you've had a little bit of a dip there. Or I think, like, because like the whole like getting, you know upset and a bit a bit down you know happens to everyone but i think if i was going to give any advice to anyone it's just like don't be afraid to to talk about it and just express those feelings because if you don't then it, it will just catch up with you mm. so it's very important to just if you if you don't feel right in yourself talk about it always talk about it do you feel like that there's um the music industry will sort of uh do you feel like there's there's enough people in the music industry that will be open and honest about it? Because we've had a couple of people speak about on mental health on the podcast mm. and some people feel really happy to talk about it and are really open and honest. And then, um, and then there's some people that sort of still believe that, the, that there'll be management and there'll be art sort of the, that side will not want people to discuss it or want people to talk about it because all they want to concentrate on is the end goal is the tour is the is the release or stuff i think like that. that for me personally if if a management company or or whoever was to say no then i think that's neglect and i don't think that's healthy at all um i mean just look at what happened to avici for example i mean he was completely neglected mm. and i think mental health i think the more people talk about it the better hundred percent you you can't you can't just shy away from from things like that especially you know if it's going to start affecting your work you know you've got to talk about these things because nine times out of ten as well you get lot you get sort of lost in your own head and just talking about it for ten minutes five ten minutes with someone you feel a lot better yeah it straightens it out doesn't it and yeah, like I said, you, you go over in your mind several things and then those several things can sort of snowball. And then as soon as you sort of release it out, and even if you're speaking to a friend, a family member, a colleague, to someone, a therapist, whatever, just actually putting it out there in the open and speaking about those sort of things, like you said, there does straighten it out and does sometimes help you able to see other sides of things and will just help you sort of be, it's quite cathartic to sort of release it and go, oh, do you know what? It's not even like you sometimes need an answer to anything. You just mm. need to be able to release it there. And speak to someone about it and you're like i just need someone to listen i don't need answers i just need like to get it out there type thing exactly yeah i think because yeah it's just communication mate and and it comes down to anything you know even being in a relationship anything like communication is key if you start letting 
all these negative thoughts start eating you up from inside and you're just like, no, I'm going to block it. I'm going to block it. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to bury it. You, you'll only be able to bury it for so long. It will catch up with you. Yeah. So it's really important to, to just talk about it. Like just, if, it doesn't have to be with a therapist, like or just somebody that you trust, you know, if you don't want to do the therapy thing, that's fine, but just, yeah, just communicate. 100% mate. Uh, yeah. That's a fantastic outlook to have on it. And it's uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. 100%. Is there, um, is there anything that people might be surprised about in the drum and bass industry or the drum and bass scene? So if they don't come from, so if they're listening to house or techno or even commercial or anything like that, grime or garage, is there anything that you think is maybe unique to the drum and bass scene or the drum and bass industry that only now that you've produced music in it and released on labels and done tours and played out live shows that you thought, oh, that's different or that's something that I didn't realize there was. I like, I just like how, um, how family orientated it feels. It feels very, um, everybody just is supporting each other. Um, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like a sort of a bitchy environment. It feels very much genuine and like, yeah, just supportive. It's refreshing, mate. I think I've worked in projects before and it's not been like that at all. It's been very much the opposite. So to have have it feel like, you know, you know you're all rooting for each other is, is a really refreshing thing. Especially because the whole industry has had so much time off and especially because artists and, and labels and, and DJs and promoters and stuff like that have, have all had to had a reduced income and have lost money and have lost work that it's fantastic to hear that there's still that family vibe there and that there's still people picking each other up and supporting each other and like you said a like a share a follow a retweet whatever at the time is free and it might not seem like a big thing but overall it can definitely help and benefit um, oh yeah 100 you you could you could make someone's day just by sharing something yeah it's yeah, it, it may, like you say, it can seem like really insignificant, but to them, it could be like a really big deal. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't shy away from it. Andrew, that's been absolutely fantastic <laughs> to, uh, to chat to you today, mate. Thank you very much oh, for coming thank, on this morning. Thanks for having me, mate. I know it's early doors. Um, it's early doors, but like I said, we've got we've got a couple more weeks until uh, the clubs are open. You're going to be playing at E1. What was the date again? The 20... Oh, wait, hang on. I think it's on the 30th, the 30th of... Is it on the Friday? 31st. 31st. Yeah, I believe it's on the E1. 31st. D&B All-Stars. Yeah. Andrew, mate, thank you very much for coming on. That's been a fantastic, uh, fantastic chat, yeah, mate. thanks so much for having me, Connor, mate. It's been a good chat. Listen, mate, I've told you once, I've told you twice. You're not on the list. All right, all right.